0: This is Catholic View and you're welcome to today's broadcast. I'm Sheila Pierge and I thank you for joining me this evening. Today we will be taking a look at climate change as well as the COP22 which is due to take place this year November 7th in Morocco. But before that, here's Mahadi Butelezi bringing you some of the stories that made headlines in Africa and beyond. So do stay tuned to The Catholic View.
1: Listen to Radio Veritas, 576 AM, for a change. Bringing you your news headlines from Africa and beyond Pope Francis. God loves each and every one of us. And bishops recall Papa Wemba as ambassador of the Congolese culture. Good evening. I'm Mahari Utilezi. As part of his weekly catechesis on mercy, Pope Francis devoted his May 4th general audience to Christ the Good Shepherd. Pope Francis told the crowds gathered in St. Peter's Square that the Lord uses the image of the shepherd who leaves his flock to go in search of one lost sheep to express God's closeness to sinners. God does not want even a single person
2: to be lost. Pope Francis emphasized that God does not want even a single person to be lost and that in his infinite mercy, he is always ready to meet us wherever we are. He said the throwaway culture of the contemporary world is something that is totally foreign to God, who would never throw away a single person. God loves all. He reaches out to every person, one by one. He knows nothing about throwing away people, he said, because he is all about love and mercy. And the example of the Good Shepherd he explained also challenges us to go out in search of those in particular need of God's love. Jesus teaches us, he said, that in his eyes there are no lost sheep, but only sheep needing to be found, and that the joy which the good shepherd feels must also be the joy of the entire flock. Continuing to reflect on the parable, the Pope pointed out that the faithful must also resist the temptation to close themselves in the pen, where perhaps there's no stink of sheep, but the stuffiness of the closed, an airless room. (laughs) Christians, he said, must never be closed. We must not be closed within ourselves or within small communities or parishes, thinking we are right. Christians, he said, are called to embrace the missionary spirit that takes them into the world to encounter others. And pointing out that we are all lost sheep who were found by the Lord's mercy, Pope Francis called us to rejoice in his merciful love and to bring that love to others, and to join him in gathering all into the fold. I'm Linda Bordoni. According to the International Monetary
1: Fund IMF, economic growth in sub-Saharan Africa has slowed markedly, over the past year, the fund's latest regional economic outlook is predicting another difficult year for the region due to what is being described as multiple shocks. IMF's Celine Allard, who co-authored the report, explains.
3: So first, let me say that the growth in the region in sub-Saharan Africa has slowed markedly uh, since last year. Basically, we saw growth last year of 3.4% for the region as a whole, and we forecasted to decline further to 3% this year. And this is way below the 6% or so that we've been accustomed to in the last decade. So one of the reason, and the main reason actually, why we've seen that big slowdown uh, in the region is that many commodity exporters, and in particular, oil exporters are being hit by a very large shock. Uh, Indeed, we have seen a growth slowdown among oil exporters, even sharper than for the region as a whole. Uh, We're forecasting growth for the group of oil exporters in the region to be 2.2% this year which is way below the 6% we still had, for example, in 2014. And those are very large countries. In Nigeria, the biggest economy in the region. Angola, the the third economy in the region. But also five of the six uh, countries that make up the Central African Monetary Union, the CIMAC. So those countries are struggling and finding it very hard to adjust. Mm.
4: But the report also shows that uh, many uh, countries in the region are, are actually doing very well so so what what are the, the factors that are working uh, to their advantage?
3: So I'm very glad you're pointing that, that element because usually people think Africa as one country with one set of circumstances. But in fact, you know, Sub-Saharan Africa is made out of 45 countries and it has always been and continue to have very large set of circumstances across, across the region. So indeed, uh, while commodity exporters are having a rough patch right now, Uh, we see many other countries still enjoying robust growth. Uh, In fact, out of those 45 countries, uh, we still forecast 13 of them uh, to experience growth rate of more than 5%, and sometimes much higher than that. And those are countries, for example, like Kenya, Senegal, Côte d'Ivoire, and many low-income countries. So what are the factors that, that are working in their favor? And first, uh, those are all oil importers. So they are benefiting indeed from a lower energy import bill. Also, uh, those are countries that still continue to benefit from uh, very strong private consumption and efforts to upgrade infrastructure is continuing to support growth in those regions.
4: Um, There's also a a serious uh, drought uh, affecting the region. What are the uh, economic implications of of this drought and and how does that uh, uh, affect the region's uh, economic outlook?
3: So first, you know, what's important and, and quite worrisome is that some 40 to 50 million people might be at risk of food insecurity by the end of the year. So this is really of a very of a large magnitude. Um, and, and to go back to your question, beyond those very high human and social costs that we see, um, there are also broader macroeconomic impacts. So in terms of growth, uh, the countries that we think are going to be the most affected are a country like Ethiopia and Malawi, where basically uh, we're seeing uh, agricultural production plummet. Um, but there are also other impacts. For example, um, in Zimbabwe and Zambia, the level of water in the dam has gone down very much. And that has really curtailed electricity production. And for example, in Zambia, uh, they have had to import a lot of electricity with a very negative impact on their fiscal position. And the last thing is that with um food prices going up, we're seeing in many countries inflation going up, and that we fear is going to affect uh, the most vulnerable segment of the population, including poor people in
1: urban sectors. A new urine test offers a quick, painless way to diagnose malaria. Nigerian government is urging citizens to use the home test kit so they don't self-medicate every time they have a fever, thinking that they might have the disease.
5: Jessica Berman reports. This simple urine test kit containing five test strips is available at a Nigerian pharmacy for $12. After urine is collected in the cup, the user dips a test stick in the sample and leaves it for 25 minutes. One line on the stick means the person doesn't have malaria, two lines indicate infection from the mosquito-borne illness. The test kit replaces painful blood tests.
1: I personally think that it's revolutionary because um, being here and having a lot of family members that are not necessarily um, They don't necessarily take care of themselves well, so whenever anything is wrong, it's malaria. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, some diet changes, everything is malaria. And so then they take medications.
5: Malaria is endemic in many countries, including Nigeria. Worldwide there are an estimated 425 million cases. The disease kills more than 400,000 people every year, many of them children in sub-Saharan Africa. Prompt diagnosis is key for successful treatment. The urine test was developed by Fiador Biotechnology, an American company, and underwent trials in Nigeria.
1: Malaria elimination in Nigeria is overdue. A lot of countries have succeeded in eliminating malari- uh, malaria in, in, their, in their country. And the Federal Ministry of Health is doing a lot of work to encourage um, proper care. So I think what we bring to the table also adds value to malaria, malaria elimination. One aspect is to test before you treat.
5: And having a home urine test kit for malaria, rather than requiring a blood test, makes that easy. Fiodor Biotechnology wants to make the test available throughout Africa and Asia.
1: And finally, thousands of mourners said goodbye to music star Papa Wemba in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Papa Wemba was buried this Wednesday. Known as the king of Congolese rumba, the 66 year old died after collapsing on stage in Côte d'Ivoire on the 24th of April. In offering condolences to the family on behalf of the Episcopal Conference of the Democratic Republic of Congo, Monsignor Jomo said that Papa Wemba was a committed Catholic Christian who gave witness of the church by spreading the message of the Synod of Bishops for Africa on reconciliation, justice and peace. Papa Wemba also participated in the album Africa Tenda Amani, Africa for Peace, in Swahili, an album produced by Vatican Radio to accompany the publication of the post-synodal exhortation Africa Moni's. And in November 2011, Papa Wemba participated in the concert for arrival of Pope Benedict XVI in Cotonou in Benin. have been your news from africa and beyond have sounds. a very good evening
0: my thanks goes there once again to mahadi butelezi for bringing us some of the stories that made headlines in africa and beyond you're still listening to the catholic view and i'm shayla pierce thank you so much for being here with me once again Coming up next, we bring you our feature entitled The Church and the UN with Father Mike Deeb OP. Today we focus on climate change. Welcome back to our feature, The Church and the UN with Father Mike Deb OP. Father Mike Dib is the permanent delegate of the Dominican Order to the United Nations and the Order's General Promoter of Justice and Peace. Today we'll be taking a look at some of the key issues discussed at the United Nations during the month of April as I mentioned I'd like us to talk about some of the key issues that came up during the conferences of the UN that were held in April I know for a fact that one of the one of the big news that made headlines globally was of course the signing of the climate change deal something that is very close to Pope Francis' heart and to most of us as well
6: indeed was a very important occasion, and about 175 countries signed it in one go. Apparently, that's the most that's ever happened, that ever happened—that so many countries signed on uh, at the same time at the beginning of the, the start of a, a treaty or a deal. Of course, some of the key players have not yet signed. Yeah, we're talking about uh, the US and, and China, especially, although they all indicate that they will be signing. So we're still waiting for that to happen, and until they do that, of course, uh, they're the biggest polluters, so uh, they won't come on board until they find it, and the whole thing won't be able to really be put in place until such time as those main polluters are are signing it. Anyway, but there's a lot of, uh, at least it's a positive step that, that they've taken, we're all very aware, though, that it's the fact that even they've signed it is not enough to, to stop the terrible consequences that we already experienced with t- climate change. But, uh, nevertheless, we, we grateful that, that the small step has been taken, but whether it can save us from the effects of it is the moot point at the moment. And, um, the big issue remains, uh, having signed it, how can we all hold those all of our countries uh, accountable for what they're saying. Of course, it remains a big challenge already. You know, uh, Many have not uh, lived up to the, the promises they made even in previous years and, and the chances are very strong that many of them won't really go the whole way. So it needs a lot of grassroots mobilization at the base to keep an eye on all our governments and make sure that they're actually abiding by it and... Um, the conditions of that treaty. So there's a lot of work still to be done. And, of course, if we want to save our planet from the, the terrible effects that the climate change is happening, is having, uh, it's going to need a lot more work and a lot more effort and a lot uh, more concentrated and uh, more radical decisions that have to be taken. And uh, I'm not sure we we're ready for that. But anyway, we must be thankful for small mercies and take things uh, progressively as they come along. And in that sense, we have to celebrate the signing of this, but not rest in our laurels and and allow things to continue with new engagement.
0: What was the church response to this uh, signing of, uh, of the climate change deal taking, of course, into respect Pope Francis Laudato Si?
6: Well, obviously the, there was a lot of July, from the side of the Vatican and others, that that they at least spoke about the importance of um, trying to limit global warming to two well, percent. They said, but insisted that it needs to be less to 1.5 percent, on 1.5 degrees. And uh, the agreement did speak about the importance of going lower than two degrees to 1.5. But, Um, So in that sense the church was very um, happy about it, Uh, in fact one would, from what many of the the church delegation were saying at the the time of the meeting in Paris, um, they seemed happy enough with the two degrees, and uh, we weren't too happy with what they were saying there because we all knew that two degrees were far too high. And by them expressing uh, satisfaction of that was a was a bit of a blow to the struggle we were having there. But I think that uh, nevertheless the, the Church, especially in the light of and encyclical, which I think we mustn't underestimate the impact that had on even the outcome of, the, of that meeting in Paris. Um, I think we can be very very satisfied, and it's, it's certainly uh, the Church. So France has had a big impact on that decision.
0: And that was Father Mike Deeb O.P., the Permanent Delegate of the Dominican Order to the United Nations and the Order's General Promoter of Justice and Peace, talking to us about some of the key issues that were raised during the month of April at the United Nations Conference. Father Mike Dib will be back again next week at the same time as he continues to outline some of the other major debates that took place at the UN. African nations are ready to step into a greater role to fight climate change ahead of this year's UN Climate Change Conference, COP22. That's according to Saeed Molin, who is in charge of public and private partnerships for the COP22 Planning Committee. The conference will be held in Marrakech, Morocco from 7th November to 18th November this year jenny kangalosi asked mr moulin about morocco's own climate policy and how the nation will prepare for the international event
4: southern countries are more and more involved in this field the kingdom of morocco has a strong proactive policy for renewable energy and energy efficiency at the same time both are helping us to reach our objective of CO2 emissions. It's a strategy allowing, of course, development of renewables, solar, wind, and hydro projects, but also very important to, in the strategy, industry integration, job creation, R&D with universities in southern countries. It's huge opportunity. We're saying that for the southern countries, are not responsible for climate change. They're living the climate change. And we can look at this today as opportunity. When we we'll have a strategy for renewables, you will have all the impacts, not only on the social impact or environmental impact, but also economic impact with job creation, to lower the energy price today because what happened in Morocco as we managed to lower the price of renewables with the good governance, with an approach that allows the utilities to have two tenders, to governance, to have different partners in the public private partnership. is the private sector who is investing in renewables in Morocco. And with this private sector, we have the chance to reach today the lowest price for wind. And many development banks helped us to reach this uh, strategy. So we are quite happy about how the, all the impacts. The wind projects It's 70% of industry integration. 70% will be wind in Morocco. That will show that other African countries should look at renewables, not only for electricity production, but also for job creation, for industry development.
7: What can you tell me about what's being done to prepare for COP22?
4: We have a committee dedicated for the COP22. I'm in charge of the public-private partnerships all for all the private companies for all the public agencies involved we are having i think to show some concrete projects to all over the world what happened it will be in marrakech 200 kilometers circle around marrakech you'll have wind parks you have solar plant the biggest solar plant in the world you'll have water management you'll have green building you'll have all concrete development projects made in morocco and to show that in africa we'll have solutions with African partners, with African people. We can show that solar pumping also, for example, in agriculture, all this will show that we'll have opportunity to show concrete projects in this field. And of course, that we're going to reach this objective that was announced in Paris for all countries. It will not be easy for all countries. We need to help those who are really needing some support to help them because they're suffering much more than others.
7: Can you give me some more detail about how how Morocco specifically is going to benefit from all this and what part it will play.
4: Morocco was wanted to have this COP in Marrakech. I remind you that COP7 was already in Marrakech. It was in 2001. And the Clean Development Mechanism was announced during this COP. We believe that we can have also other mechanisms to be implemented during COP22. Morocco is ready for that. We had a COP in Peru last time and in Paris. But we believe that to show that everyone is talking about energy in Africa everyone is talking about all the impacts on African countries we need to change that there is huge opportunity today for electrifying Africa in a good way
7: self-sufficiency within African nations that's going to be a priority? it's not
4: only a matter of self-sufficiency you know you can if uh, all the grids are connected in Africa we can help some African countries have can have more potential than others can just distribute more energy but we also think about decentralized how we can use the centralized energy today in Africa, it will be much more economic today as technology is evolving and we had the chance in Morocco in 15 years to reach from 25% to 99% of our rate. That's something that we managed to do in a way that's not only matter of technology or financing, the right approach, the right governance the right transparency in the projects, in the tenders. It's very important to have this in mind and with that we can reach our objective. But I'm sure that during COP22 we'll have a lot of discussions with other partners. We know that other countries that are all producing or having another point of view sometimes, but we are all concerned by this energy transition. More than $300 billion invested in renewables last year. The energy transition is already here, and the Kingdom of Morocco already started this energy transition. So we believe that during COP22, we will talk a lot about that, and we have to look at it as an opportunity for all countries.
7: Is it significant, you think, that it's being held in an African nation?
4: It's very important. It's a Moroccan cup. It's an African cup. And we believe that we have some African solutions also for such cup.
7: So African nations, you think, are looking to play a bigger role on the global stage?
4: We believe to. And a lot of alliances are in discussion between African countries. But we have a lot of projects and opportunities that we can develop. So I'm sure that for Africa, it will be an African cup with a lot of opportunities.
0: And this has been your Wednesday's edition of the Catholic View. Hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. Remember, Catholic View is a program presented and produced by Sheila Pierce for Radio Veritas SA. I'll be back again tomorrow evening at the same time. Until then, God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Sheila Pierce.